Welcome to the first episode of the In Between Theories podcast. In Between Theories is a project by Cecilia Doherty and myself, David Kalal, looking to explore artworks that fall outside of conventional frameworks that largely invent themselves through processes of experimentation and investigation, artwork that is particularly interested in new forms of interactivity. Today's conversation is with artist Luba Droz. We're discussing her new piece, Long Cat, which you can find on InBetweenTheories.com. It's a highly political conversation that also delves into the early history of open forums and discussion boards on the web, the evolution of 4chan and Reddit, and looking at the way that a culture of conversation and debate and a culture that also shut down conversation and debate and developed many of the tools that we see effectively being used in the new reality of the Trump presidency. So in the conversation with Luba, we really circle around a lot of the ideas about how did the digital space create some of the new norms for truth-telling and communication and misinformation, and what are the possibilities of using that space to push back against the very problematic political moment we find ourselves in. So here it is, Luba Droz in conversation with Cecilia Doherty and David Kalal about her new piece, Long Cat, which you can find on InBetweenTheories.com. Okay, we're recording. All right. So, uh, Luba, could you talk about the long cat meme? Explain it a little bit, say where it comes from, and also how you got the idea to use it for this piece. I came across the long cat meme early 2000s, right after 9-11. There were a ton of message boards and forums where people exchanged information from techno music to just uh, inane topics and uh, uh, the long cat started popping up around 2004 and I remember that this was kind of the joke everyone was in on so when somebody would want to uh, um, screw with uh, a person they're having a dialogue with they would post the cat the long cat and you have to scroll and scroll and scroll through just so you can give them an answer so it, it, it's basically something that precludes debate and a dialogue as one. Just because you're posting in the long cat, that's it. The debate is over and you won, even though it's completely illogical and non-negotiable. So uh, I was thinking about these devices, such as whataboutism, and, uh, which is largely used by, uh, was largely used by Kellyanne Conway in the beginning of the Trump presidency. Uh, and uh, such as when she brought up the Bowling Green massacre as a justification for the refugee ban. She just kept talking and talking in the interview until no one could say anything or put any words sideways or in any way. Okay, the Bowling Green massacre. Uh-huh. Was that the massacre that never happened? Yeah, yeah, the massacre that never happened. Hi, Luba, it's David. I was thinking it's interesting when Cecilia says um, verbal long cat because I was thinking sort of of long cat in it, in it, yeah, in, the, in that it's noise made pictorial, right? Right, yeah. So exactly. it's interesting when you, you the, the metaphors for it are this kind of verbal overflow and obfuscation, 
But this original version that you were drawn to is one that is actually um, this kind of, yeah, noise or obfuscation or distraction uh, or nonsense, but just put into one single image that also has this kind of physical act of scrolling attached to it. So it's all, it's like all these nonverbal cues for silencing people inside of uh, a nonverbal conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's why it, it seemed fitting because the administration uses this device in all their activity just until it, it just barrages us with uh, tons of nonsensical information that's most of the time is not true or is just decorative or something. Okay, so you see this specifically as a political artwork? Kind of, yeah. And then in uh, terms of being digital art, uh, how do you see this as digital art, which is a, uh, uh, is this a new form for you? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think I've ever made uh, internet art as such. I've worked with installation and uh, vi uh, video, but I've used the um, form that I, when I regurgitate something, that I take somebody's uh, devices and I distill them into a new form. I, I used uh, I worked on a piece for the prison museum in Eastern State, so I used uh, um, training materials distributed for prison workers, and I distilled them into a video installation. So I basically didn't change much. I just edited and condensed everything. So the, the the tools I've used, I've used them before, but I've never made an internet piece before. So when you say that you've used the tools before, it's David again, hi. Then that's also a sort of a mode where you're using tools that have been like life tools and communication tools and things that were not sort of specified to art production and move them into the realm of producing work when you start started to make digital work. It's like your digital life tools turned to uh, art production for the first time? Is that is that a, a way of thinking about it? I've used, I've worked with 3D animation before and I've used digital video before, but uh, like the, this uh, mode of internet art, the browser only available art that references internet culture, I haven't used before. But the device where I, I take a part of the certain uh, enclosed community, such as a corrections community or the digital community, and I take their tools, basically their instructions or their modes of communication and remixing them or distilling them until it's laid bare. That's, that, that, I've used that before. Can we see this also in terms of the net neutrality vote? Uh, you were talking uh, about Trump. I believe what this is a quote from you in terms of the power dynamic that is supporting and guiding Trump, how it seeps into the online presence. And also uh, with that, the I mean, in in conjunction with what you were saying, the quote, let it all burn nihilism that is present in, I'm still quoting you, many mass shooters as well as 4chan message boards, uh, the everyone for themselves idea. 
So can you talk about this piece in terms in terms of that? Yeah, I think would give birth to Trump, which I see Trump as a collage of these personas or of these ideas. He is just uh, taking little pieces into uh, making himself into this patchwork kind of scarecrow, basically, piece by piece, taking uh, little little snippets of these abhorrent ideas and creating a persona that's not even real. Yes, exactly. So this is this is uh, what David and I were talking about. The long cat meme in combination with Trump is a literal representation of his presidency. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this, uh, I think, after the nine eleven and the dot com bubble happened. So one, you had uh, prior to that, there were all these festivals of internet art, and flesh was so elegant and everything was really designy and and everybody was trying to make internet this elegant interactive place and when the dot-com bubble burst and 9-11 happened we had isolation and we had all the people who have contributed to this elegance of the internet experience out of work and uh, oppressed by this global growing war on on uh, the fake ma- weapons of mass destruction, uh, destruction. So I think that that also plays into it. It's just uh, people talk. Uh, Trump talks about uh, the coal miners lo- losing jobs, and uh, how and people talk about how like people in in those areas of America voted for Trump. But I don't think that's like exclusively true because there there are all these message board trolls. Who probably participated in the dot-com bubble okay. that grew disaffected over time? Can you talk a, a little bit about the message boards, like uh, uh, maybe as inspiration or as uh, something uh, you're responding to? Or I think with this piece as a, a co-optation of what their of their communication systems. I mean, their their uh, representation systems. I was thinking about the anonymous belonging. So you don't have to be yourself or be anything or anyone, but you still belong into the culture or you belong in the community of all these anonymous non-selves. So uh, it seems like an attractive idea. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I participated in some message boards. Uh, It feels more fun sometimes than just interacting with people because you can always disappear uh, you can assume personalities this was, those are the actually the very things uh, right at the time like in the early 90s it was like uh, schools that started uh, you know you could get your email through a school rumors immediately about being online anonymously and either that was a great thing or that was a dangerous thing. Mm. And I, I remember this debate from like 93, 94. I can, if I can jump in for a second, I was also, it was, I was thinking that same, or along the same lines when you talk about this kind of, this moment of trying to have like an elegant interactivity and that, mm. and, and whether that's something that is, you know, in its, in its theme, in its basic concept, like a discussion board or like a functioning democracy, something that is 
conceived of as interactive, and yet both the, the presidency and the long cat meme are these moments of resisting interactivity inside of, right, the, I think you said the opposite of interactive, inside of spaces that are premised upon that kind of cooperation. You add anonymity in there, and it's, and it's an additional tool of, right. of interactive, dis, like, interactive disruption inside of spaces that are meant to be beneficially interactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and would you say they're kind of hermetic? Do you mean hermetic in in a sense of like that they're that they have a, a that they have a sealed border to them? Or tell me yeah. more about them. It's its own language, kind of. Well, that's a fascinating idea because, of course, I think both in the like the immediate, you know, the immediate visual. I guess it's not a metaphor because it's an actual visual presence when like a long cat comes in and ends conversation. But also when you think about the language of uh, democracy, that's exactly what's being deconstructed and destroyed under the conventional reading of the administration, whether it's like the Kellyanne Conway nonsense you're talking about or just the complete destruction of norms around a kind of conventional middle class news based sense of, you know, um, a neutral truth in news reporting. So, yeah, I think the question of where the borders on that hermetic would be are, are like interestingly present in that in the in the whole piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, I I wanted it to be kind of enclosed with no misinterpretation possible because I've done work where it's open ended and I like artwork that leaves things up to contemplation. But it seems that we don't have that luxury right now. Ah, interesting. I know when Cecilia and I were discussing the piece a little a few days ago, we were talking about the space between what Cecilia was describing earlier as its literalism, right? Like it's it's it's. I feel like I watch it. I have direct access and little. What you're saying again? Yeah, it's not open ended in a certain way. But then also, what what was the relationship between literalism? and its immediate impact upon the viewer, and didacticism. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I remember you saying, Cecilia, that you were you found it literal, but you had you had a different thought about didactic. Right, I, exactly. I, uh, I found it literal in a way that it expressed itself like purely economically. Uh, didacticism actually is open-ended because it kind of requests a, uh, an argument. You know, it wants you to argue back with it, and it wants uh, to present something as not uh, seeing something as it is, but taking an ideology and presenting the ideology as how things are. And so I, I felt that the work was not didactic, but it was uncompromising. Ah, I, I am convinced by that. <laughs> uh, David, you were talking about uh, gender, and seeing this as a the long cat is a meme that expresses gender in some way or can you can you say what you were thinking about that sure i think i had two thoughts and they were i think they also were attached in some ways to the that literal impact of the piece on me where it felt uncompromising and so i felt that i i understood the immediacy of like the visual language and then partly because this political moment is become so much about uh, a new kind of well it's not a new kind but about an articulation of gendered power roles and, you know, in the straight conversation, conversational way about uh, sexual harassment and sexual assault, that I think of cats in their internet presence and in their, and in their general kind of, like, cultural presence as feminine. I think that they're keyed that way in terms of, like, everything. I, I mean, almost, like, from simple ideas of pet ownership 
and uh -huh. like the dog-cat divide, right? This way that we gender things that are not necessarily gendered and they're, uh -huh. and they're naturalized in that way. And so, you know, I, I was having that kind of thought for the, the, the long cat uh, meme with this uh, sort of embodied boundary, I mean, a hermetic maybe even, uh, I wasn't thinking that word at the time, but where it's it, it sealed in all this incredibly specific news and video information. And then, of course, I went to uh, another place, which was funny. I think I had this deeper thought first, and then I thought, oh, well, of course, there's also a kind of, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon cruder uh, genital slang way where it's all about everything that came out of the sort of grab the pussy moment. And so, I had, right. and so I had this two things where I was like, I thought I was having a quite complex gendered thought. And then I thought I was having uh, a very obvious, almost like wordplay based thing. And they both seemed to be true. And again, sort of brought me back to this literal impact of it. And then all these kind of layers that also had a literalism to them in the way I'd experienced them. If that's, that's not a very short way to put it, but it's, it's sort of what I was thinking in terms of the visual language and gender. It's funny that you say that because the the grabbing by the pussy and the cat connection did not come to me or I did not think about it at all until you just said it. But it seems so obvious. It seems absolutely yes, that that makes absolute sense that that it kind of takes control over the idea of a cat, basically, or a pussycat as a representation of a, I don't know, of a gender, possibly. It's also a representation of uh, the thing you can't control and also like a mystery. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why you have to hold it out like oh, this. Right, right. To, to see the entire thing. Right. I'm just riffing now, but uh, yeah, thanks, David. I, I mean, I, Cecilia had the same reaction when we had this sort of uh, earlier conversation about it. And I think it is interesting because I got to it that same way as well. It was a third or fourth step. So it's interesting that the, the complexity comes before, I don't know, like the fourth level comes before the first level. Do you know what I mean? Oh, right. So the, the way that I went through that information and then the yeah, three of us seem to have had a similar kind of meaning stack. Also, it's interesting because uh, disaffected white male play in in the 4chan message boards and in the election of Trump uh, versus women in digital media overall and uh, how it's represented or how the possibilities for women to work with digital media which is uh, has been not as much anymore controlled by men and this idea of the gendered cat dog thing I think there is something there as well just thinking control of a digital media as a woman that that, that kind of speaks to me personally can i um ask about the uh gifs format for you so were you working with the animated gif i think i was just using the tools uh, utilized by the community that created the long cat i uh and feeding it back into it just creating kind of a long loop uh, of uh, the self-perpetuating loop. Uh, I also think of it as an idea of an Occam's razor. So the simplest solution for for the problem or for the for an issue, and I feel like the cat is not necessarily a solution, but maybe 
an embodiment of the problem. So the Occam's razor is like the most simplest answer is usually the correct one. So the most direct and simplest form is usually it has no ways of being misinterpreted. I'm wondering also by using gifts, I'm wondering about the 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 net neutrality vote and uh, what could we do in the future like after the vote happens can can we actually make fun of the president will we be able to put this online can it survive the net neutrality vote there's so many things that are questioned here so in 2009 i got arrested and uh one of the main reasons for the arrest i, I won't bore you with the story was that uh the policemen didn't like that I was smirking and I was like making fun of them. So just because I wasn't submissive or just quiet and I kept smirking, they they arrested me. So, so I feel like this long cat is kind of like a smirk. So now you're wondering if it's going to have repercussions? I, I doubt it's gonna have repercussions. However, I've, I've seen uh, people getting doxxed, like their information posted online. You know, I, I don't think this is going to happen with this. Oh, no, I don't think so either, but I appreciate your paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. <laughs> Two things that I really sparked some new thoughts about the piece for me was this idea of, and we are, again, we're, I think there's something interesting circling about literal, a literal work of art, an uncompromising work of art, and then also this notion of, to bring Occam's razor in as you did, I suddenly then also see the, the long cat as, as the cut, right? Not the knot, but the, but the, the after effect of the single slice, which, which works again for me on both these kind of uh, levels of political art that is demanding to be uncompromising and literal, which contradicts or is interestingly contradicted because, of course, it can't be a literal representation of a of the Occam Raisin's metaphor. But we're into something that I find really interesting there because it feels, again, like it layers a direct truth on top of direct truth. Right. I was, like, looking into 4chan and Longcat, and I came across Pepe the Frog. So do you know about this meme? I just know that Richard Spencer wears it as a button... Right. Uh, Don, Donald Trump tweeted an image of himself as Pepe the Frog before the election. Oh, that's that's not surprising. <laughs> and the fact, and the thing is, people say he doesn't know what he's doing. That is absurd. It's ridiculous. He's an adult who ran for president. He knows what he's doing. He he's not a, a just like unguided balloon of energy. You know, he's he's like he knows what he's doing. People said that about George Bush, and we ended up in war with Iraq. Cecilia and I a little bit were talking about this idea of the gif or jif as a, as a joke, right, that's frozen in time, which when you say that, that you, you think of it as a smirk that's then also attached to that story about your uh, interaction with the police, I do think that one of the consistent ways that, you know, Trump communicates is with this kind of frozen rictus of a smirk on his face at all time, you know, indicating like he does know what's going on. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that it's smirk versus smirk here. This kind of like uh, these frozen moments of kind of political humor, even if they're humorless, sometimes in their affect, are are another interesting moment. I wonder if he's not like a president that is made up of just like jiff moments, right? He's just endlessly cycled short bursts of the same information and image. 
I mean, everybody who does an imitation of him does that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's kind of the idea that he's this Jif uh, collage. He's like a not not even a person. He's just made out of these exclamations, Twitter exclamations, not even thoughts. So just, what? So what can artists do? This is a difficult question, but how's a political art work? Uh, activism, or in this, when does the joke stop being a joke? So I was thinking about that um, the Hida Searle article about the early, the pre-long cat uh, form of spam and spam before uh, it was the email emails that we ask uh, that give you like millions of dollars if you whatever save a prince from distress or whatever the spam emails do. I was thinking about the, the spam that Hito refers to in her article about digital debris and how spam used to be just the word spam in early uh, forms of message boards and it was typed uh, further and further and further until it displaced uh, 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 lines of text. So I'm feeling, I feel that um, artists, I can't say what anybody should do, but to me, it seems that a work that's virtual becomes tangible and has tangible effects and offsets certain tangible pieces, even little by little. We were talking earlier, David, about space because uh, a lot of Luba's work is about space. And you talked about uh, confined space or enclosed spaces. But we were also uh, discussing like whether this, the space of the internet is a real space. And I think we came to the conclusion that it ab- absolutely is a real space. So what defines this space? And we were trying to, uh, we were realizing it, that um, it's not, it has geographic boundaries, but those boundaries are actually the imaginary part. They're the way to be able to think about the internet or the way the government or corporations can think about the internet. There, there was a point where we were talking about how this idea of spam or long cat displaces uh, internet space or shifts it around. So maybe this is like a pushback on, on the net neutrality vote which tries to create borders, basically, paid borders, paid superhighways. Yeah, it's a kind of, I mean, you can even think about it when we're using this sort of geography and cartography, or we're talking about it as a geography, this is an attempt to impose a map. And we know that the, we know historically that the imposition of maps are about uh, worldviews and control, right? Building metaphors of, of power and space, right? In the ways that you look at the world. And so if it is, if it is indeed a geography, this is like there, and we think about it pushing back at, say, net neutrality at this specific moment, the Trump presidency in a larger context. That is the virtual becoming tangible. Right, and I'm thinking also about uh, this as a next step in colonialism, right? Because colonialism basically took regions it had no idea about their culture, it had no idea about subdivision and just like drew lines uh, according to some ideas somebody thought up in their in their war room or, or and uh, right. appointed people who have no idea what they're just because they're like friends or something or just because they, they have uh, they know how to use a, a cannon 
or some kind of weapon and they excelled at it and then they can draw these lines on a landmass that they have no relation to. So like how can a general from France say how to divide parts of Africa if he's never interacted with animals in Africa and doesn't know where they go to drink water. So it, it seems like a similar idea applies to this. We, we have these people who are not, not saying it's, it's comparable. I'm just saying that there is a lesson to be learned from the ideas of failure of, uh, like of colonialism uh, in terms of how it applies to dividing and uh, monitoring the internet. Yes, I mean, before we we can yet know whether it's comparable. I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. You look at how the economic and political interests of uh, dominant nation states and corporations at the time built these, the, built this geography. And we now are all, we're all clearly aware if we're, if we're well, we're all clearly aware, as maybe a lot, but uh, there's a common historical read that says that uh, the, the situation that the world finds itself in in its most conflicted areas can, is about the, this kind of, the malfeasance of that, of drawing that geography that way. It would seem like that would be a cogent argument to make against doing the same thing again with a virtual geography. I think there's a strategy. If you're doing it with a virtual geography, you are doing it absolutely globally. This actually wipes away the political borders when it's effective for, uh, for corporate and state interests. It keeps them intact for the people and it wipes them away for those in power. I mean, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a rich and disturbing comparison. David, I liked your idea as a, the a meme as a kind of chain-linked authorship. And, you know, when thinking about what can artists do, it is also a question of the idea of authorship and ownership and how when work moves online, you give that up, but it's not a sacrifice it's not like giving it up because you're giving up your identity. It's because you're actually giving it, period. I think there is a culture of uh, recycling culture happening everywhere. Ideally, I, I would like the, the, this long cat could become open sourced with the pieces added through th throughout the time. So it grows longer and longer and longer until, until we, we've gotten out of this situation i hope we can be um so uh but there is a, a issue here of what if that that gets hijacked like like the if you like the presidency got hijacked like what 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 happens if the people we don't agree with start contributing to the long cat and that poses its own issues i can entrust myself to be to have a good virtue or something but I don't know do I there's a question of that right. who who am I to say whether I have good virtue to control the cat <laughs> so it's not a question of who's walking the dog it's a question of who can control the cat yeah which as we know no one controls a cat no one controls the cat yes so, David, you have uh, further thoughts or questions? No, I'm 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 just looking over the uh, the arc of everything we've um, discussed, and I'm I'm having a very original experience with the piece that is this kind of oscillation between um, immediately understanding exactly what I kind of think and feel about it, 
I'm excited about the geography uh, topics in terms of uh, this cast. I haven't thought about it as much, but I find it very interesting to ruminate on that. To think about the geography in in the sense of like how spe how specific moments like this can be used to push back against this uh, or either push back against uh, an oppositional idea of a controlling geography or uh, just in terms of colonialism, the ownership or, or subdividing space. Yeah, it is. It does feel like that uh, the reason one of the reasons I've been so sort of. Uh, energized about this latest thing on net neutrality is I, it really feels like a, a group of people in that Republican-controlled FCC and in other kind of more shadowy ways have recognized uh, free spaces that can be owned and made profitable and, you know, subdivided and monetized uh, in, in a bunch of ways that are going to be as endlessly complicated as colonialism or capitalism. And so it's like... How how do you push back and protest at the start of that? Yeah, it seems like they're trying to squeeze out, trying to capitalize on these oh. spaces and squeezing out uh, yeah, whatever is... you can from them. Who's Who is doing that? I think David I... had thoughts on that. Uh... Well, just if we go, I mean, not to, just to dive back into, uh, and this is, just from my recent reading, because I, I didn't really, I didn't experience the long cat meme. Uh, I must have been in it. I was in a different part of the online geography at that time. But uh, looking and reading about some of it, there is also this like humorous, uh, constructed mythos about long cat. And uh, Cecilia, do you remember the name of long cat's nemesis? Tagnol. Right, and yes. that, they're, that, they're, that they're headed towards a, a kind of uh, revelations-based Ragnarok or Katnarok. There was also this thing where I, it's, it was interesting to see the way that somebody, individuals would take something that was used in this kind of spam way to obstruct, obstruct communication and build like humor and fanship and kind of mythology, even if it was like a kind of joking mythology, in, in as a way to kind of also um, uh, domesticate it. But I wondered if it was domesticating people who were trying to use it aggressively by making it a kind of, you know, affectionate meme. Right. It and therefore kind of... pull some of the sting out of using it as a kind of spam blocker. Right, but it's really it's really attractive. Like after I saw Luba's long cat, I wanted to make long cats. I wanted to make like lots of them. <laughs> yeah, I've I've actually wanted to make one as well because I've seen the the really long ones where it goes through the universe. Basically, it's uh, slices of the universe within one long cat that lasts just a few pages of scrolling. So I think uh, it would be interesting to make another one when this is all over. And we've moved on to a better time in our lives, <laughs> residency-wise. Be interesting to see also in terms of like both of those senses of geography. Like, does would long, how would long cat uh, transpose into like uh, into other like national political contexts, right? Other places that are uh, like, what would they fill their long cat with? I wanted to know uh, about your other work and the themes that you work with otherwise. Could you talk about that a little? A lot of my work addresses systems of control, such as uh, 
um, prisons, but not exclusively prisons or things that seep in from intangible into tangible. This is why I was talking about these topics earlier, how, how for example, nuclear proliferation uh, becomes a tool of fear. Everybody is so scared about the nuclear weapons right now of our minds when we should be occupied by other things, the realistic things, like our rights that we should be scared about. So it's like a system of weapon of mass distraction. Yeah, so um, things like that, or um, uh, misinformation, how things that are represented to us are not really, uh, cannot be proven or misproven, or thinking about conspiracy theories, not in a serious way, but maybe there is some truth to any conspiracy theory. Right, there is truth to not not accepting what's, what's being presented as the reason for something or the fact of something. Right, exactly. It's a... Uh, it's that border between uh, the, uh, like the issue of mental health is very interesting to me because some one person can say that they're um, paranoid or mentally ill, but maybe maybe not. You know, there's this like what point somebody stops being mentally ill and becomes like actually correct in 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 those oh, yeah. ideas. Yeah. So uh, these these kind of areas, gray areas, when one thing can become either, depending on perception, kind of micro and macro aggressions that can mold things. And I think that kind of work actually actually places the viewer in the space between concepts and political space and psychological space, rather than the space of a person who is looking at artwork and having an opinion about it. The viewer is not necessarily interacting with it or uh, critiquing it, but is caught in the middle of it. It's kind of a fractured space where those things collide and you're kind of in between them, kind of uh, splintering, and I try to like, and the viewer can be in this moment of the splintering of uh, ideas. I love that, yeah, exactly. So that when you're looking at it, it actually has an it's actually additive. It actually moves you out of the, your uh, ordinary space of looking at art or experiencing art. No, I, I, just to chime, chime in on that, I, I was thinking, yeah, there is a, a thing where this notion of it as a space for political psychology is, is maybe that's, the, that's uh, one of the ways I've experienced it as additive, right, where these, these uh, other moments have come in and t- on on top of its its visual impact and it's the way it, it initially inhabits for me a space between like the playful and the deadly serious. Oh yeah, it's a it's kind of a dark humor that stops being funny when you realize how horribly unfunny it is. It's so funny it becomes uncomfortable. Uh, so that there is a, there is a part of that that I enjoy where people start laughing but then start understanding that they're laughing about something that really is absolutely horrifying. <laughs> and I start laughing talking about it. <laughs> okay, so I think that's going to wrap up our conversation with Luba Drost. Thanks a lot, Luba. Thank you, David. Have a good night. I will. I, I look forward to uh, seeing all the next stages for the piece. Thanks for joining us for the first ever episode of InBetweenTheories.com. 
For more information about the artist Lupa Droz, her project Long Cat, or other work that's going on at In Between Theories, please visit us at our website, inbetweentheories.com, or find us on our Facebook group.